What's up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast. And my guest today is Randall Davis. Randall Davis is a martial arts, kung fu, wing chun, uh, physical training guy from Colorado. Um, I've been talking with Randall on and off for a long time now, text messages and, and actual video calls and stuff. So today we're doing a video call on the podcast to share with everybody. What's up, Randall? Thanks for coming on. Good morning, Fred. How are you? I'm great. And I'm even I'm really happy because you got that shirt on. Show everybody the shirt. Sporting. Yeah. Sporting That's the old yeah. school shirt. I still got yeah. some of those if anybody wants to buy one. Yeah, Randall, I got to get. Yeah, sir. Go ahead. Tell Tell everybody about yourself, man. Um, you're you're quite a uh, dude. You got a lot of got a lot of stuff to talk about man you're you're deep let, let, let's uh, hear something about you well um i guess let's start with uh physical movement and physical culture um i'm not going to be one of those guys that says they walked uphill both ways when they were you know going to grade school but i can tell you my first job was for my dad when it was when i was 10 years old and we were selective cut loggers and we would do fence post which is about a six and a half foot length and six and a half to eight inch diameter. And we were on a hillside. And so my dad bought me a little hatchet and made me three little come along ropes. And I would delimb these trees and drag them down the hill and put them on the, uh, put them on the truck. And that to me was heaven, man. I made 10 bucks a day. Um, I'd always been involved with some kind of physical culture. I got my first weight bench at 14, played football. Didn't do well at that, but I played it. Did wrestling, didn't do well at that, but I played it. Did track. Um, physical movement's always been a part of my life. I grew up uh, in the mountains of Colorado, Granby, Grand Lake, and Winter Park. So something with physical culture has always been a part of my life. I would say my big career change has been the last 12 years. Uh, I drive a city bus. I started up in Winter Park for two years, which I absolutely love. And uh, then I moved down in 2011 for a job and a girl and the job worked out great the girl didn't but that's okay break even 50 50 so yeah that's that's kind of where I've been going on my physical journey I did powerlifting a little bit at the end of high school and in college and I started to notice some dings and tears and wear in my late 20s and early 30s and so I had an old friend of mine get a hold of me and tell me about light Indian club training. And then from there, I got a hold of one of my old Kung Fu teachers, um, Sifu Bill back in uh, Grand Junction where I went to college a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And I started doing Tai Chi ball with him. Probably, I started all of this about 2012. Uh, my girlfriend had just broke up with me. I was in a low spot and uh, I've always known that movement is therapeutic and healing to the soul and to the body. And so I wanted to try moving in a pattern that I'd never moved in. So we started with the paired Indian clubs, moved on to the Tai Chi ball. And then eventually from there, um, I wound up finding the mace. I found some heavy clubs. I did some, some of Scott Sonnen's work. And then one day I'm on, on it because they have some cheaper clubs. I'm looking around and I see this thing. This is about 2013. I see this weird thing called a mace. And I'm like, what is that? This 
this round sledgehammer looking device. And I was like, you know, that's, that's not a bad price. I think it was 45 bucks at the time. I'm like, yeah, I got 45 bucks. And I was like, okay, how the hell do I use this? And so I'm dinking around and, uh, I find scientific wrestling and Jake Shannon and I see he's got a video on it and I pick that up and the rest is history. Funny part about that video too, is, um, I started doing Wing Chun in college in 1998 and I've continued since then. And one of the demonstrators on the video was one of the guys I went to college with. So I've got to get a hold of Jake and see if he still has that kid's contact info because we were pretty good buddies in the Wing Chun club. So talk about a small world, huh, Fred? Yeah, it is a very small world. And that's what's so fun about it. But, um, you know, the when you're when you're a coach, you kind of want it to be a big world because, you know, you want customers and clients and stuff. And, um, you know, when you're when you're looking at it like that, you 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 want the sport to grow or the modality to grow. Um, but like martial arts and steel mace you, to you, they they kind of just marry together. Right. That's like a pretty easy one. Right. Absolutely. So a lot of people, when they see martial arts, they're doing what uh, my Sifu in Wing Chun refers to as cookbook learning. So you have your ingredients and I'll give you an idea, you know, like, let's say I've got a high outside rising block. Well, to some people, that's all that will ever be. So that becomes a little card in their Rolodex of martial movements, high outside rising block. But if I'm not so worried about the terminology and I just look at the shape and my posture when I'm using it to defend, well, if I can do it on the left, I can do it on the right. And if I can do it high, I can do it low. And so all of a sudden, if I take away the terminology and I worry less about, well, what is it doing? All of a sudden, I can take that shape and use it for multiple purposes. So that's a principle-based method of learning. And that's how I was taught. I was taught Wing Chun. I've been in Xingyi the last eight years, which is Tai Chi's great, great, angry Mohawk tattooed grandmother. And so it's got a lot of the health benefits of Tai Chi, but it's got some of the kick-ass benefits of a good Kung Fu system. You know, I can take this shape also and look at the bottom of it. Well, that's an elbow. Why can't I elbow somebody with this? If I look at the top of it, that looks like a fist. If I shift in my stance, all of a sudden I'm punching somebody in the face with a hand that I've already blocked with. So how I look at the mace work, um, not just the different teachers, but the different methodology of it, you know, um, I'll give you an example. You know, the classical training of mace, you're starting with maybe the 10-2s or the 360s or whatever terminology you want to use in there. And you're starting with posture. Most people think, oh, well, you're swinging the mace around and it's doing the 360s and you're getting great grip strength and shoulder mobility. Absolutely, that is a part of it. But you have to start with the foundation. You don't build a house from the ceiling down. It's possible, but I don't know how well the main structure is going to be, right? So when you're doing the classical training, I, you start with stance and posture. How are your feet? Are, is, you know, is, one left, is your left foot a little wonky and off to the side? You know, or are both your feet parallel and even? Do you have a stance that you could stand in and you feel comfortable? Your knees aren't locked out. Your hips are relaxed. And then you straighten out the spine and the posture. You tuck the chin. And then you start working on everything else from there. 
So what you're doing is you're doing a fixed state modality, right? You've got your fixed posture and your fixed stance. You got something swinging around you. And so not only are you worried about that may spell, you know, hopefully it doesn't hit you in the back or the thighs or anything like that, but you're also, you're splitting your mind. You're splitting attention, right? When you get better at it, you can focus on both at once. And so that's kind of how I look at my martial arts, you know, building from the ground up. You know, it's interesting uh, going off of this. Sorry, I'm going to probably ad lib and talk your ear off, Fred. Um, Before you do, I don't don't want to lose this moment. I have a question for you about something you just said. So you were doing martial arts first, and then after a few years, Mm -hmm. then you found the mace. Uh, Yes. So So my my question is, uh, so because you mentioned doing more than one thing at once, you know, learning, learning it in stages when, since you were already in martial arts, was that achieve, was that achievable more, more quickly when you grabbed the mace or did you, did it, were you just like a rookie all over again, starting from scratch and like, okay, I have to do this one step at a time. Okay. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to give you two answers on this. Cause there really is two. I picked it up pretty quickly because the years that we did the logging, we also were a firewood company. And the first four years, I was the wood splitter. So I'm used to having something with an uneven, you know, you know, I was used to handling an ax or a mall. Right. And so I did pick it up quickly. But both of my teachers, uh, I've been with one instructor in October for, which is weird because I still think I'm 23. Um, You're not? For 20. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that little chubby chin comes in handy, you know? So, um, but I've been with one instructor for 23 years and the last one or the new instructor I've been with, which I consider, you know, like a brother and a friend I've been with for eight years. And so both of them emphasize trying to keep what we call a white belt mentality. And what happens is a lot of high level instructors and I'm, I'm actually going to quote Mark Wildman. Um, I'm still trying to get him to come train with me a little bit, or I'm going to go down and train with him. We, we talk quite a bit, a lot like you and I do. Yeah. Um, a lot of high-level coaches and instructors, they forget what it's like to be a beginner. Or better yet, not so much coaches and instructors, but practitioners. Somebody that's a high-level martial artist might not be the best teacher because they forget the fundamentals and the basics. And so they are just like a boxer, you know, they might perform at an extremely high level, but they're awful at teaching it because they forgot the basics. Cause at some point you're, you know, dealing with the high level material, which is built upon the basics. But at some point you want to think about whatever the task is at hand, whether it's boxing, whether it's MMA, whether, whatever it may be, you want to just be able to free flow with it. Right. Um, so Yeah, I picked up the mace pretty easy, but I tried to go through it step by step because I wanted that white belt mentality. I wanted that beginner's feeling and mindset to struggle with something. I think nowadays everybody wants a skill set overnight. And um, I probably, to be honest with you, I've just really started to get pretty good at Wing Chun the last five years. That's 17 years into something, you know. I'll say maybe I'm a bit of a slow learner and that's an art that's supposed to be learned pretty fast overnight, but like blasting people out of their posture or like 
grabbing two hands with one, I can do that now, but it's taken 17 years of continuous practice to get there. Yeah. And you know, it takes, it takes a lifetime, right? I mean, there's always something to master. There is a, a young lady up in the mountains right now. And I'm, I'm, I'm sad that she doesn't coach yoga anymore. Uh, she moved to Australia, my friend, Rachel, and started a practice and some politics got involved. Seems to be involved with everything, martial arts, mace, whatever it may be. Okay. Yeah. And she, uh, she moved back to Colorado and she's teaching down in the big city. But one thing that she said to me that has stuck with me for years, it was one quote and it just, it burned into my soul. You know, I said something about, well, you know, I'm still working on this. She's like, I hope you are because it's a practice. A practice should be for a lifetime. You know, it's creepy to think that that's what doctors do. They practice. They have a practice. I was but, just going to uh, say that's that's what doctors do. They're supposed to practice. They're supposed to. I mean, well, but you you get a base level, right? Right. I mean, I'll, let me give you some. So do you know how many Kung Fu styles there are, Fred? Take a guess. 303 that's a pretty good guess it's probably in the hundreds maybe anywhere to a thousand you know and i'm probably lowballing it and so they're not all the same some of them have the same shapes and then again too some of them could be the exact same style but the teacher is going to teach the information different right and so we're going to say back in the day when kung fu had to be more than just health it had to make sure that you got yourself home to your family at night a lot of the high level teachers knew maybe one style completely and then they had supplemental styles right and so what they would do is when they take on a student they give them base level foundation of mechanics and movement and physical preparedness to take impact to move weight to hit something hard to kick well to have balance and then because they had two or three of these systems to pull from, not the whole thing, but just pieces or tastes of it, they could prescribe and fashion something unique to each individual. And so it was more of that prescriptive style of teaching, you know, take a whole lot of Mr. Mace Man, maybe a little bit of a steel mace flow, maybe um, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know, maybe you get some of the steel mace yoga in there, things like that. Right. And you work on the basics of those and you find something that really works for you. And some days you might do classical mace training. Some days you might flow. Some days you might integrate it into yoga. Some days you might try to integrate it into one of your Kung Fu katas. I, I do all the five elements in Shingi, which is cool because they're a form that's only like three moves. You do three moves on your left, Three moves on your right, you've done the whole form, but they're in a line. So, like, I could do it if I had the stamina and there was a road to it, I could do it from here to Jupiter and back. So, it, that's, that's a whole different kind of kung fu form, you know, where you see some forms, it's like 180 moves and backflips and cartwheels. You know, this body's good for a lot of things, but not so much that. But I could put a steel mace in my hand and I can go through, I can put a sword in my hand and I can go through and do my five elements. I could put a staff in my hand, I can go through. And do the five elements. So I'm, you know, I'm not looking. I know the martial applications because there's hundreds of them in those three or four moves. But what I'm looking for is a body integration, a body knowledge, 
you know, how's my posture? How's my stance? Are my feet in the right place? And then when I can move past that, how can I produce power either in through my body into this object, like a sword or a mace? That's, that's kind of my learning curve. That's, that's what I'm working on. What, 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 when you found the mace, what was the first weight you were using? Was it the 10 pound? No, it was the 15. And okay. it's so funny. It's and funny you, because, yeah, go ahead. And, and you got it from on it and, and it, it came to your house. And did you have anything? Did you see any videos prior to using it? Or did you start off completely unknowingly just doing whatever you felt intuitively? Well, like I said, you know, I had to, I went ahead and purchased uh, Jake Shannon's video. Right. And so that came in about the same time. So I watched how he does, you know, the first mace, you know, kind of, I call it the, the pendulum pull up. And so that's really where I started. Okay. And from there, I would just goof around with it, see where I could add it in. Um, I did another style, weird style, um, translated into English. It's called white eyebrow. It's a Southern tiger style. And uh, I noticed they have a, they have what's known as a tiger's fork. But basically, Fred, it's just a big pitchfork, like if you were hanging. And so right. that system will have stances, kind of a planted stance, and like the waist, the waist will move. Like my feet are locked right now, and I'm just I'm moving my waist, but my arm is actually not moving. I'm just moving in my waist. And so it looks like my arm is moving around. But it's just my waist. But I noticed that like I could put the mace in my hand and do a lot of stuff, quite a bit of transitional stuff with the tiger's fork with that. So that's kind of where I started integrating the martial arts. Um, less with my Wing Chun. Um, I think uh, Marshall Mace, Miss Karina down south has done an amazing job. She does. Uh, yeah, she's doing great stuff down there. She also has a background in Yong style Tai Chi. And uh, I can see like where they're shifting in the feet. I'm like, oh, she's doing some Wing Chun there or, or this and that. Yeah. Um, I like I, some of, when I yeah, see her videos, I, I talked to her about this so many times, both on the podcast or I shoot her a message on Instagram when she puts out a video and it, it, the way she moves her feet. I I'm like, is there something wrong with me? Like I'm, obs <laughs> I'm obsessed with her feet, the way she moves her feet. And, you know, I've showed people, I'm like, look, look at her footwork. And there, nobody like sees what I'm talking about. They're just like, okay. Like, I'm like, no, man, it is so soft and strong at the same time. Mm -hmm. And you, I can, I can see it. I don't know what other people see, but I see the power coming out of the earth up into her feet. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'll have to show you off camera sometime, but, um, at least with the, the Wing Chun lineage I'm in, uh, hers is very similar to mine. Um, as a matter of fact, if I never finished with Sifu Mayer, uh, I was going to go down south and try to work with Augustine Fong because I'm going to say it wrong, but the Hokan Ming lineage is very similar to the Wong Q lineage. But when we shift in our feet, I call it skiing, right? So you've got your, this is one foot and you got to imagine you've got two. And if I move left and right, the other foot is parallel. So it's, it's just like a skier. Let me see if I can do it with the camera. Let me see here. Let me know if you can see my feet, Fred. All right. We see your feet. All right. So if I shift left, okay. Right. The feet are even. 
just like if I shift right. Now I'm barely lifting my toes up, but as I get better, I can keep the feet down. So I'm shifting a lot in my heels. Like right now, this left foot, this is my left. All right, we has lost about 60, 60 per, it's probably backwards, right? So Not, this left foot, yeah. Yeah, that left foot has 60% of my weight in it. Where this right foot, this other one, this lead, has about 40%. If I come to the middle, now I'm at 50%. Now I'm at 60, 40 again, right? But that whole process, you're going through the incremental ticks of 1%, 1%, 1%, 1%, right? So when you're a rookie, you're not connected to that. You're just trying right. to do the movement. But over the time and over years, not only are you using just your heels to shift, but you can use the whole foot itself. Yeah. And I think a lot of that too comes from the Yang Tai Chi she's doing too. Yeah, totally. That's she's doing it exactly. We have a in our lineage of Xing Yi that we do, we have something called Tiangan, which translates roughly into heavenly stems. And that's what it is. It's these weird kind of almost yogic stances, a little wider and deep. And you're trying to go through this movement and it's trying to integrate the legs into the torso and the trunk so you can get that leg power into your core. So you're and talking then, about like a, the thing that looks kind of like a horse stance and you're opening your hips up. Yeah. So your yeah, knees, but, your knees are like maybe 45 degrees. Sure. But, but exactly. But, but what I'm talking about a lot, like what Miss Marshall Mace is doing is you're doing it, not just in a fixed posture. Like if I did the horse stance and I held it for 30 minutes, that's great training. Absolutely great training. But that's fixed posture and fixed stance training, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, if you add in the handwork, sure, you're getting some handwork in there too. But if I start to move that structure, then I'm working on my stance and my posture through movement. Like I, I think there's too many people that think that balance is fixed. And I'm going to give you two terms on balance being fixed. Your balance stays the same. That's a, a version of balance being fixed. Well, no, it doesn't. If I work on it, if I work on my posture, if I work on my stance, and not just a fixed posture and stance, not just standing up straight, tucking the chin, those kind of things. You know, it might be like Shingi, we have a posture called Santi. You're 70-30 weighted, and you've got a lead left hand, you've got a lead um, left leg, and it's back weighted. I'll send you a picture of it sometime. And so we work on that stance quite a bit. And then we're working on the other side. And so what you're doing is you're building a posture and a balance through that stance. Or excuse me, you're building a balance through stance and posture, right? A fixed one. And then what you have to do is be able to move that balance, be able to move that structure and try to stay just as integrated as you were standing still as when you're moving, right? So, so when I'm engaging somebody like a new student, or maybe I'm sparring with a friend or something like that, I'm not trying to so much overpower them. I'm trying to have better balance and better force that I can generate through my balance on them. So like I'm, I'm, I'm integrating my, I'm, when I step into somebody, sorry, I'm babbling a little bit, just uh, haven't had my first cup of coffee. So if I'm trying to engage somebody for combat or something like that, the first thing I do is a basic palm strike. And I'm, I'm trying to do that at their center point of balance because I want to see how well that structure can take force. 
And if they scoot away from me, well, then I don't really have to fight them, do I? My balance has been better the entire time. So that's what I'm working on. And so I don't know if any of that made sense, Fred. Or <laughs> well, you're, what, you're saying, what you're saying is if, if they scoot away from you, they don't have the balance, and therefore mm-hmm. you're not going to fight them because what kind of danger do they really possess over you? Exactly. Or it gives them, uh, you know, if I have to defend myself, I will. But it gives them a a reference point where it's like, okay, this person has something that I don't have. If I do continue to engage them, I'm going to be on the losing end of this. Yeah. If you just whip out a palm strike and it's like a, a, it seems to come out of nowhere and your, your body barely moved and your arm just strikes and it pushes the person away. They're like, oh my God, what is this? What is this guy doing to me? Mm-hmm. yeah there my uh my student that moved just back to virginia he just graduated college which i'm super proud of him uh, i got to work with him for two years and super nice kid he's actually talking to my instructor and something that he found well i'm going to give you an example um i'll get back to him so i was working with a teacher out of denver for a few years and we do a lot of drill-based training in wing chun um, and, then, and then from the drills, we use it for entries, you know, how to close the distance between somebody. And then from there, you know, you're going to go into Chi Sao. And then from there, you're going to go into like free form, like sparring, stuff like that. But I base all my drills upon what I call my five elements. And the number one is balance. Balance, distance, timing, speed, and movement. The last one we can get into later. But I always start with balance. And the balance starts with the stance and the posture. So each of the drills in Wing Chun work on all of those things at the same time, as well as tactic. We have three timings in my Wing Chun lineage. We have alternating timing, like, uh, oh gosh, what would alternating time be? One, two, one, two, just like music, right? Uh, we yeah, have- right. So it'd be like one, two, one, two, one, one, two, mm-hmm. one, two, one, two. We have what's known as paired timing or whole beat timing, which uh, in Wing Chun is Lin Su Dai Da or simultaneous attack and defense. So what I'm going to do for that is, you know, most styles you'll see is I'm going to defend and then I'm going to attack. Well, in Lin Su Dai Da, I throw both of my hands at the same time. So it's a paired hand throw. And so one hand defends while the other hand punches simultaneously. And so that is your Lin Su Dai Da time. And then the other one, I'll probably get the Cantonese wrong on this, but it kind of translates to gop lick. And so it's the same paired timing, but one is going forward and one is going backwards or one is going up and one is going down. Right. So I have three timings to work with. I have three ranges. I have three distances. Um, The length of your wrist to your elbow, to your shoulder, those are three lengths. You know, I've got all these different little tactile things postural things, positional things to work with. And so we went through a basic drill set with this instructor and his students. And he's like, well, show me how to use this. And I'm like, what do you mean by show you how to use this? He's like, well, how do you fight with this? So each of the drills, I gave him seven or eight different ways to use them in combat. And I'm like, you're too focused on the icing and the cherries on the cake 
You're forgetting about the eggs. You're forgetting about the flour. You're forgetting about the starch. You're forgetting about the basics. If I can, if, if I can do just this alternating drill and blow you out of your stance, you know, how good is your stance? How good is your posture? How good is your balance? You're looking for applications, but applications suck if they don't have any structure or balance behind them. And that goes right along with the mates too, doesn't it? Yeah, that's that's why we're having this conversation. You know, we're, <laughs> we want to get this information into the mace people's uh, minds, you know, especially if it's a, a mace person who doesn't have a martial arts background. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I got to talk to Sleepy Monkey Man quite a bit there for a while during our whole COVID run. And uh, he does Chen style Tai Chi with an instructor. And the Chen method has something known as silk reeling. And I'm going to speak probably out of context. I'll have a bunch of Chen guys getting a hold of me. Well, that's not what it's for, but that's okay. But it is a power development method. And it's trying to take the far extremities, like your fingers, the hands and stuff, and wind the fascial tissue all the way into the core of the body. And so you got these cool patterns, but it's not just cool patterns. It's a methodology to find whole body power and whole body dynamic power. It's empty handed. So it takes a long, long, long time. Now I've got a buddy of mine. I'm going to pass on his info afterwards. You might want to hit him up after the show, but he does Tai Chi. He does Bagua and Shingi, which are kind of the three internal arts um, of the Chinese martial arts. And he's a big Indian club swinger. And we were sitting down chatting one day and he's like, you know, I've done the chin silk reeling and stuff like that. And this is something that Mark and I've talked about too. And we find that swinging that external apparatus reminds us a lot of the chin method of silk reeling, right? So again, sometimes I think not just with martial arts, but even with the mace and in the clubs, yes, you have to be focused on that external object. But once you can get past that and once you can do the movement really well, well, how is it affecting your wrist? How is it affecting your elbow? How is it affecting the shoulder? And then once you get past the extremity or the limbs, how is it affecting your spine? How is it affecting the chest, the rib cage, the lower back? And then how is it affecting your stance and posture? I mean, people that can't feel their legs or their hips when they're swinging something, you're missing a whole lot of information there. Yeah, so let's... This is good. Let's let's dive into this a little bit. So you have somebody who just started learning how to use steel mace. Um, sure. They're doing, you know, some yoga with it, some flow, um, you know, whatever they want to do improvise wise. Um, what kind of advice can you give as far as getting the legs more involved and, and really developing that? Uh, proprio- I know uh, that proprios absolutely this is going to sound so backwards but if they had background like that I would give them the same information that I, I you know I went into when I started the Mason the clubs start as a rookie start as a rookie I think too many of us are trying to integrate everything that we know at the same time you know what I mean it's like oh I know Shingi I know Wing Chun I know Tai Chi I know Indian clubs I know Mace I know this and this and this. And when you start picking up more stuff, mm-hmm. I think we just try to lump it all together Yeah, and try to find stuff, you know? Um, 
one of my new toys that I love, and I'm going to start training more this summer, is the inertia wave. And I find a lot of similarity to the patterns of the Indian club swinging with the inertia wave. It's kind of like, uh, I call them fancy, uh, what are the ropes? Like like the battle ropes? They're like a fancier portable version of that, but I yeah. think they're way But anyway, so what I would tell them, and this sounds so backwards, this is the same thing that my Shingi instructor said to me about, you know, training Shingi from Wing Chun. I had studied probably 12 other systems of Southern Chinese arts. Okay, I'll give you the story. And I was trying to come up with my own style, my own system, because that seems to be what everybody wants to do. I've got my own style of Kung Fu, got my own style of mace, you know? Well, the mace never changes, but how you use it and how you think about it does, you know, right? So I would tell that rookie yoga person, that rookie yoga movement practitioner, start with the absolute basics and work your way down. Start as a white belt again. Don't be afraid to struggle with something. Don't be afraid to learn a new skill set. Don't just add it in with your other skill sets and be like, yeah, I do that too. Well, you want to do that, but you want to have it maybe as its own thing. My Shingi instructor told me, he's like, hey, you have Wing Chun. It is a complete system and you're excellent at it. Well, Shingi is the same thing. But instead of trying to mix all the drills together at once, instead of trying to think that the tactics are all the same, instead of trying to make a stew, why don't you learn the ingredients of what makes Shingi up and get that into your nervous system, work on their postures, work on its power development method because it's different it's a different power development method than the wing chun right right focus on it and then see where it comes out naturally like when i spar i don't think well now i'm doing shingi well now i'm doing wing chun well now i'm doing grappling i just kind of let whatever comes out come out but to to be at that method sounds a little bit like steel mace flow doesn't it sounds yeah. a little bit like like uh yeah, so it, you're flowing. You're flowing. So you're you're mm -hmm. as you develop, your um your mind starts to actually let go more because the movements become second nature, mm -hmm. and when things become second nature, your brain you don't have to focus like a laser beam, like to make. I'm that punching. Movement. I'm punching now. I'm elbowing now. I'm kicking now. You yes. know, we're not robots. Right. You just want to come out. It happens. It just happens like a, as if you sneezed. It just happens. And then when you're at that stage, your brain is free to roam and to to bring in other information. And then that's where the it all starts to fall into itself. I call it the body mind flip. I call it the body mind flip. So you want to at some point the body realizes what it needs to do to defend itself because you've done all those moves. You've done all those drills. You've done all those things so many times, like not just hundreds, but we're talking tens and thousands of repetitions. Like I'm not a big belt guy. I'm not, a, I'm not a, as far as like black belts or sashes or stuff like that. I really wished that um, we would go more off of the plumbing and electrician model of mastery, you know, you know, a, you know, what is it? Um, a journeyman is what two to 3000 hours, something like that. But a master is 10,000 hours. Yeah. You know, um, I'm going to be honest with you and, and all my Kung Fu buddies are going to laugh at me, but 
on a bad week of martial arts, on a really bad week, I train for six hours. On a good week, I'll do 12. Well, it's not as much as you think because, you know, I'll have breaks on my bus. I might have a 30-minute break. I might do a forum for 15 minutes and then use the restroom, you know, have a snack. You know, if I get up in the morning, I might do some stretches. I might do a couple martial arts forms. There's 15 minutes, you know. Um, so it's, it's how to add it on in the day. And then when I actually do my practice, well, maybe I have, I don't have much time. So tonight I'm going to do 30 minutes to 45 minutes, or if I've got some extra time, I'm going to do an hour and a half or two hours. I know people in China. I've got a buddy in Beijing who has a martial arts podcast. He's studying three to four hours a day. Wow. That's his, that's his lifestyle. And you know, you you think about it. That's how most MMA practitioners practice three or four hours a day. That's their life. Anybody that wants to do anything at the top of the game has to do hours and hours a day. Guitar mm -hmm. player might play 12 hours a day. Absolutely. Just to be able to get up on stage and and be able to perform. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. But I mean, if you're if you're just, you know, more of a person interested in steel mace fitness, you know, using the steel mace just to, you know, get stronger and, and healthier, you know, maybe you've been sitting around a lot. Um, That's what I do. I, I sit for a living. It's the only complaint I really have about my job. I'm so used to physical labor um, for the first probably 15 or 20 years of my life that the last 12, this job is so foreign to me. So I've had to add in other practices besides just martial arts to counteract sitting for 10 or 12 hours at a time. And, you know, you think about it. I know this. You're in a fire truck. How many people... You guys have the the alarms blazing and everything, and people will still cut you off because they're jackasses. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm in a bus, Fred. It just happened yesterday. It just we were on our way to a a, a small fire, and I'm like literally, the guy looked at us and then just pulled out in front of us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That sounds about right. And well, I'm just like, what? What's wrong with you? Yeah, I don't, priorities, I don't man. Yeah. So I have that happen literally a hundred times a day. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. Forget about it because everybody has to get in front of that bus because you're, you're going to slow them down. So they need to get in front of you before you get in front of them. I want to tell you something funny, Fred. When I'm in my own car, I don't like being behind a bus. No. no, I don't. I don't cut buses off. I don't do anything like that. But at some point when I find a good space, I'm cutting around that sucker. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I totally get it. Um but you know where a, a normal driver might get cut off once a day. I get cut off hundreds of times a day. And so, you know, let's go into the occupations. You know, one of the things that I loved about you talking about steel mace was you were talking, this is a while back. This is a Fredism as I call them. You were talking a while back. It's like, you know, I had a rough day at work. My nervous system is fried. I can barely breathe. Right. Cause I saw something awful out there. I don't want to go crush a CrossFit workout. My nervous system is already just redlining. I don't need that. What I need is a way to learn to breathe and move with something relaxed and kind of let go of that stuff. And I think that, you know, especially in the bus driving industry, you don't see that, you know, I'm, I'm a little round guy, but I move well, but I got to tell you, Fred, you know, out of the, Drivers, we have hundreds of drivers up here in the Boulder, northern Colorado area. 
I'm probably one of the most in shape ones, which is sad to say. And that's something that yeah. I work on. Yeah. And so what, what do they do? They go for the quick fix, you know? Oh man, I had a rough day at work. I got cut off a hundred times a day in the bus. I'm going to have a cheeseburger. I'm going to have a six pack or a 12 pack. I know people that drink 12 packs, not on their days or before they're going in, but you know what I mean? And it's just, they choose four options mm-hmm. instead of trying maybe a movement modality. I, I think hopefully that's going to change here in the next few years. I got to tell you, it's funny because I don't want to tick anybody off in the bus industry, but I'm pretty sure that Google will have my job in the next 15 to 20 years. Um, uh, yeah. But I'm not sweating that. I've, uh, I've got plan B, C, D, and F. So I know I forgot one. Don't sweat that. But uh, yeah, I just, there has to be better ways to de-stress in our lives. And that is a job that I don't think people look at the health of the drivers. I mean, again, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to knock the industry. It's what's given me my bread and butter, but you have a lot of unhealthy people in a lot of high stress situations. Yeah. We're not running into a fire. We are not, you know, working with an amputee. We're not you know, performing open heart surgery, but we are driving. And that's something that millions and millions of Americans do every day. Well, I, you know, before I was promoted, I was, I was driving, you know, for ladder one in, in, on the fire department, long aerial truck with a big ladder on it. And we work in an inner city with tons of traffic and it's a 24 hour shift. And on those, one of those shifts where you're going out often, driving a rig that big or driving a bus that big, you have to be switched on. You have to know where every car is on the road, what the people are doing across the street. Uh, Is there a guy riding his bike the wrong way down the street, you know, whatever. And you're constantly checking your mirrors and everything else. Plus you have to worry about the people inside your, your um, bus. And you have to look at the clock and be on time, picking everybody up at the end of the day, you have consumed tons and tons of brain power just like almost in survival mode because that's what it is you're you're it's all about danger and staying away from it that's what driving is you know that's why they have a thing called defensive driving well when you're in the defense you're stressed out there's a stress level there so yeah driving could be very taxing on people my my, uh my dad um, who I did logging with, there was a winter, maybe two of them that he wound up actually driving the ski bus as well. So I guess I was kind of born into the ski bus and the bus driving. Um, I want to say winters of 92 and 93. And before that he had done a summer of logging. And I remember the first two weeks of him coming home, just looking exhausted. And he sat down with me and he's like, you know what? I don't understand why. And we're talking about it right now. He's like, but driving that bus for a 12 hour shift, with people cutting you off in the mountains and snow and ice. And you've got a bus full of 60 people, you know, brothers, sisters, mothers, grandmas, all this other stuff. He's like, that is way more taxing and exhausting than the logging was. Right. Um, And so, yeah, it's a, it took, there was a definite physical and emotional learning curve. Logging is physical and you're using your muscles, you're using your body. And then you also get into a rhythm because it's all the same movements over and over again. And you become more efficient at those movements. 
just like steel mace, just like any other type of training. So yeah, you might be tired at the end of the day, but you're tired because you use your muscles so much, but your mental level might be completely different. You've used your awareness because you, you know, want, to, want to make sure that a tree doesn't fall on you and kill you, right. you know, and you want to make sure that your saw doesn't come back and the chain flies off and cut you in the face or anything like that. But yeah, there, there is a relaxation. There's a freedom with, I mean, we were in the middle of the back half of the Rocky mountain national park doing logging on a farm. Yeah. You know, how, how do you beat that? Yeah. You're in nature. And I've been to Colorado a couple of times. It's friggin' beautiful there. So yeah, come on. We need firefighters up here, Fred. Oh, I know. I know they need firefighters. I see for, uh, that, I mean, that's, that's a whole other job. It's, uh, wildland firefighting. That's, that's it, man. That's it. You know, I, that's off to those guys and yeah, girls. I just, I just watched, uh, you know, a big part of my life, the back half of Grand Lake and hot sulfur Springs. You know, I used to hunt with my dad when he was still alive as a kid in that area. And a lot of that went up in smoke, but you know, mother nature, she'll take care of herself and heal herself in the meantime. It's rough to look at. We've been having, you want to yeah. talk about pretty creepy stuff. You know what a dust devil is, you know, like a little yeah. tiny ground tornado. We've been having ash devils. Wow. So there's so much ash and soot after these fires yeah. that they'll have these little wind tornadoes and it's nothing but ash. They're these like little black tornadoes. And we want to talk about supernatural and evil. Yeah. It's like the ghost of the forest rising up and in, in, in rebellion or something that's a, yeah man that sounds like a rock song that you need to write brother <laughs> right <laughs> so fred i don't know how much time you've gotten i don't know how much time my phone not much has. not much um, not, none of us randall none of us have much time <laughs> it, right right i mean <laughs> good call fred you're getting philosophical that could go along with the uh the ghosts of uh the trees that's that's your next that's your next line yeah um, yeah did you get to read dr belissa's book on yes. breathing for warriors. Yes, I spoke to her on the phone. Did you? She's amazing. I, I, she's got a huge following. Oh, she's an author, and I sent her a message. I said, "Listen, I, I you know, I got to talk to you." This is even before I bought her book, and um, uh -huh. I got her on the phone, and I was talking about you know, guys, guys on the job coming back after having COVID, and mm -hmm. um. Uh, you know, she said, those guys need to get checked. You know, uh, we're finding 30% less breathing capacity in some cases, yeah. you know, in some cases. Um, and you know, we were talking about me and, and just like, you know, I'm very interested in breathing and I practice, you know, some basic stuff all the time. And, um, that, you know, very nice phone call. I think she was in California at the time. And then, um, we hung up and I went and bought her book and I, I read it. Yeah. Breathing for warriors. It's a very good book. What did you want to say about that? You know, you were talking about, you know, starting off as rookies, you know, and, you know, people with multiple skill levels like yoga and martial arts and other, maybe parkour, maybe other movement practices. And, you know, like Mike, my instructor said, you know, learn this new thing for what it is. And then later on, start to integrate it. I think one thing, and I know Leo does quite a bit, Leo Savage and his work. Um, and then a few other people do as well. Um, but I honestly think that breathing needs to be taught more with the mace and the clubs. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, I really think it's something that's kind of almost taboo. It's so funny because, you know, you look at mace training and club training and it's, it's what 
the industry, you know, the popular industry would call it alternative training. But as we that practice, we know it's not alternative. It's excellent. It's not woo-woo. It's not, there's nothing fluffy about it. Right. But I know a lot of people that swing kettlebells and clubs and mace that never think about breathing. And if that could be something that could be integrated in to the training and the process and the practice, I would love to see people work more with people, you know, not just the, I love, you know, I'm, I'm going to shout out to Wim Hof too. His method is amazing, but um, I really like Dr. Belissa's stuff. She's worked in multiple modalities of breathing, um, yogic, Chinese, um, integrated it in with Western ideas and concepts. And I think she's doing a great job, Dr. Belissa Varanch. And then another guy who also does club work too, out of Canada, um, another martial artist, I'm going to shout out to him, is uh, Kevin Secours. He has been involved with martial arts for like 30-something years. Yeah, we're supposed to do a podcast. Uh, mm -hmm. I reached out to him a long time ago. I've been trying to get to everybody. Hey, Freddie, we, you know what? Coming out of COVID, we're all working. You know, I just, my uh, Kung Fu instructor and I, for the Shingy, we're working on a, it's called Kung Fu Conversations, and uh, we've got two or three episodes in the can. Oh, but yeah. We're both, but we're both so busy that we're going to make sure that we have five or six canned before we start to release the podcast. But, yeah. Um, yeah, we're, you know, I'm working on that. I've got a commercial later in the week I'm doing for a buddy that wrote a book. Um, so, let, let me ask you something, though, about the podcast. But, um, so people sure. listening right now can be prepared for it. Sure. Uh, what's the best way for people to find you right now so that when you do release the podcast, it, they'll find out about it? Sure. So I'm uh, Red Forest Chinese Boxing. Red like the color, forest like the trees. Um, Chinese like the good food and boxing like Muhammad Ali. It's all separate words, red forest, Chinese boxing. You can find me on Instagram, on Twitter. I have a YouTube page and then I have a Facebook page as well. And so I'll be releasing info on the podcast when that gets out there. Yeah. And of course, uh, when you have that info forwarded to me and I'll, I'll put it out there too. So anybody that's following the steel Mates nation podcast, um, if you kind of lose track here and, and forget how to get in touch with Randall or how to find him, just shoot me a DM and I'll connect you and make sure that you're on that. And well, thanks. Um, thanks, Fred. Absolutely. Just, you know, I want to see, I want to see everybody do well here. But Randall, I, I agree. Before, before we go. Yes. Um, Cause I, I do. Yeah. I have to, we're going to have to end it now. Um, I didn't realize how quickly the time went by. Um, but uh, do you, you, you have a training practice, like you take on clients, right? I do. I do. Um, most of my Wing Chun teaching that I do, I've taught in 30 different schools over the state of Colorado and I love seminar teaching, but my one-on-one -on -one students, I either train them in their house or in a park or uh, at my apartment, you know, okay. and that, I keep it real low key. Um, I don't know if I'll ever be what's known as a brick and mortar instructor where I have my own school, like, like that's the school, that's the address. You know, I like, I like doing one-on-one -on -one and uh, a lot of the guys in China anyway, a lot of them are park teachers anyway. Yeah. And I like being outside and I think it makes it a little more, you know, 
intimate. They can get the information better that way. Yeah, it's like more organic. And well, instead of standing in line with 75 other people, you know, doing reverse punches for half an hour and then not really knowing why the hell you just did that for half an hour. I can tell you why you're doing like algebra. Why why am I doing this? I don't don't need this. (laughs) Yeah. But if you do calculus, you sure as hell do need algebra. You know what I mean? So it's all in context. It's all in context, you know? So, (laughs) well, Freddie, is there anything else, anything else I can help you with brother? No, I think you've helped me immensely today. And uh, I have a lot to go over now. Um, And I think what you talked about today was really interesting. And I think the audience is going to love it. And um, of course, anybody listening, you know, if you're on YouTube, you could ask questions, put comments down below and um, we'll get Randall back on, you know, to Thanks. answer any of those questions. Cause he's a very knowledgeable guy. And um, the way you go about increasing your knowledge is by being open-minded to everything and to anyone and allow them, allow what they know to come into you speak less, listen more. You know, when somebody wants to talk like Randall, Boy, oh boy, that's that's a, a, a little present for you. You know, that's something that you can take and use for yourself and share with other people. So, Randall, I appreciate that. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Fred. You and your family have a blessed day. We'll pick on you soon, my friend. Thanks for the opportunity. I don't know how much of it was just uh, rambling on, rambling on, but, uh, you know. No, no, rambling. Now, now you're rambling. Now you're rambling. But before you were fine. (laughs) Oh well, now I got to finish my coffee, and now I have to go, uh, go get some breakfast. I haven't had breakfast yet, so. All right, go eat a hearty one then. Enjoy yourself. Talk to you soon, my man. Thank you. Take care, Fred. Have a blessed one. Bye. All right.